Good morning, and on behalf of, of course, the Sementelli family, I want to welcome all of you here today to honor this long and obviously blessed life of our dear friend, uh, Brother Bernie. I already miss this dear brother. Uh, when he would visit here with his family, sitting right here um, with the Sementellis, uh, like a good Italian, he would greet me after church with a holy kiss, and sometimes on both cheeks. And uh, he was a character, as most of you know, but, but I mean that in every good sense of the term, a faithful sailor. He served his country. He was a proud American, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and for sure he was an unashamed witness when and where he could be for the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times he would quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to anybody and everybody, anything that moved and walked, certainly there in the nursing home, and uh, I know Melissa told me that Priscilla's husband, who's in glory, called him Sermon Telly, because uh, <laughs> he would preach all the time. Last time I saw him, he couldn't speak with me, but I just, I just said, I love you. And he, as best he could in sign language, pointed to his heart and said, said I love you too. Um, he loved others. He loved his country. And he loved his family. And he loved the Lord. And he loved the church. And, of course, his church for so many, many years um, was Grace Emanuel, and we're honored to have uh, their pastor here with us, Brother Jerry Ragg is going to come, he's going to say a few words, and then he's going to open in prayer, and so we want to be a blessing, we want to be an encouragement, we want to glorify God uh, in this hour. Later, all of you are encouraged to stay if you would like to, through those doors, you'll, uh, Brother Andy will tell you about that later, there's a luncheon over there, and it's provided, and so I hope you'll stay and fellowship one with another and rejoice that we sorrow, but not as others who have no hope. And Brother Jerry, come here, brother. God bless you. Thank you so much for the immense privilege to take just a moment and open our time, commend it to the Lord. Just a word to the family. Uh, your beloved, precious Bernie was the dearest kind of friend that a pastor would want to have. He was always supportive, as all of you know who know him, but he was no pushover. <laughs> and he would come to our men's study on Tuesday morning, 6 o'clock to 7.30, faithfully. And when we would open it up for our time to discuss the truth we'd just been learning, Bernie was, uh, I don't know, I think his average was six questions. And only because I had to stop him. <laughs> I had to set a limit on him. He was voracious in his desire to know things and prove things, and he would even say, I'm, that doesn't make sense to me. You've got to explain that to me again. And I would love that about him. And he would also call me and say, all right, we're going to lunch. And so we'd go to lunch, but he would drive. And when he got into his uh, later years, the lunch ended up two hours, but not because we were at the restaurant for an hour but because it was a half an hour down Indian Town Road. <laughs> and at one point I just said, Bernie, I gotta drive next time. This is, you know, we're going 20 miles an hour on Indian Town Road. He said, really, are we, are people passing us? <laughs> like, he was just a pistol and a delight to me and his love was big, wasn't it? His love was big. I'm so thankful for the way he impacted my life and so thank you for the privilege of uh, allowing me to commend our time to the grace of the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you've said in your word 
that it is precious to you when one of your godly ones leaves this life and enters into your presence. It's precious to you. It is deeply profound and eternal. For you have sustained your servant all through his earthly life. You've brought grace to his life. You've sustained him, not just saved him, but sustained him with your grace. And you receive wonderful, glorious honor, having shown yourself faithful. And then when a godly one comes home to you, it is because you long to glorify your children fully in your presence. And now Bernie has been perfected in holiness. And he doesn't have to deal anymore with any of the infirmities of this life. And most particularly, the, the challenge of our sin. Thank you for saving him. Thank you for influencing our lives through him. Thank you for the testimony of his sanctification and how he grew in you and loved the truth. Thank you that he was so hungry to know things. And thank you for the way he challenged us in spiritual things. It was so needful. His friendship so dear. His love for his family so singular and obvious. And his love for you, Lord, a testimony to this great gift of our salvation. So thank you for the privilege of celebrating his life and his love and most assuredly his redemption for which you receive all the glory even as we give testimony today. We commend this service to your grace and we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Every day they pass me by, I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, a living fear. hides the silent cries only Jesus hears people need the Lord people need the Lord at the end of broken dreams he's the open
are called to take his light to a world where wrong seems right what could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost through his love our hearts can feel all the grief they bear they must hear the words of life only we can share people need the lord people need the lord at the end of broken dreams he's the open door people need the lord people need the lord when will we realize that we must give our lives for people need the Lord people need the Kevin, if you have a Bible, and of course they're provided there in the pew, if you want to turn to one, um, I would encourage you to do that. We have Gideon's Bibles in the back, and if you leave here, I encourage you to take one and uh, use it and uh, read it in the back. There'll be some information as well as we're going to discuss in just a moment. Several years ago, Brother Bernie sat as a guest in one of our services here, and he listened, and I spoke on the subject of living water. John chapter 7, and that's where you can turn, again, if you have a Bible there in your pew and underneath as well. About a year later, he asked if I would preach it again. And about a year later, again, and I told him, well, Bernie, just get the tape, just get the CD. And uh, Nick got him one, and our brother Nick told me just about every time he'd see him, he's listening to the same one. And from time to time, he'd still ask if I would preach it again. And finally, one time, he asked me, and I said, I said, Brother Bernie, I'll speak from John 7 at in the future at your memorial service, and he gave me a thumbs up. And that was a long time ago, and even though I'm not going to uh, receive a holy kiss from him today, I rejoice uh, with you all that Bernie, our dear brother, is in the presence of the living water. For this morning, I want to remind you quickly, and I'll be brief, we have testimonies to come and so forth. I want to remind you of the backdrop, the crucial context of this morning's narrative. In the Gospels, you can see clearly that our Lord Jesus, throughout his entire life, was very faithful. Uh, even early on with Joseph and Mary, he would attend and observe the Old Testament feasts. One feast, as you know, known as the Feast of Tabernacles, was an observance that God, he sort of instituted as a commemoration of the wilderness journey. And of course, specifically, it was given to remember the provisions of God in that same journey. And even more specifically, the miracle of water. 
You all will recall in Exodus chapter 17, the children of Israel murmured against Moses when they realized they're now out in the desert. There's no water for them to drink and so, or for their livestock, and so they're afraid. And what happens? Well, God tells Moses to smite the rock at Horeb. And water, pure, life-giving water, refreshing water, came forth, gushing miraculously out of a rock. So that for God's people, this was a signature miracle. It was a miracle that saved them all from certain death. And so it's no surprise that of the three feasts that Israel would observe throughout their lives and throughout the year, the Feast of Tabernacles was the one that focused on the water. So that in every way, of every day of this feast, rather, priests in the temple would come and they would pour water on the steps by the altar as an offering and a memorial to God. Through the years, through the centuries, they would add layer upon layer of tradition, as the Pharisees were known to do. On the last great day of the feast, the priests would pour a double portion of water, and therefore, using great water pods, they would pour it at the pool at Siloam near there, and barrels of water would be poured so that with great joy and great excitement with this tradition, water would be flowing everywhere. The problem, of course, is that it became ritual and it became religion. And ultimately, therefore, it was nothing more than just sort of an empty ceremony. In fact, it was also on the last and that, quote, great day of the feast that a, a pitcher of water, a last pitcher, would be put forth and it would be poured, but it was empty to symbolize the disobedient generation that died in the wilderness so that instead of waving their palm branches and shouting with joy at that moment, by their tradition, it was an empty pitcher that led to sort of sober reflection. And so it is that in that moment, and if you read the narrative very carefully and just follow the verses, um, as we did with this message Brother Bernie heard, you'll come that at that moment, Jesus says these words in verse 37. You'll see them on the screen. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now, folks, think about that. The Lord Jesus said to these sort of now bewildered worshipers that he's the rock soon to be smitten so that from him, Christ our Lord, would flow rivers of living water. Water? Yes. You know, there's really nothing, if you think about it, like the amazing, mysterious substance that we call water. You'll remember the powder outages that we all had many years ago with Hurricane Francis, Jean, Wilma, and really I was thinking the irony how that a big storm of water led to these long lines of people wanting to get water. In fact, Governor Jeb wanted to do these photo ops, and every time he did, it wasn't a video of him passing out medicine or food to a long line of Floridians. He was always passing out water. He was either passing out water or ice. I grabbed one in the back. I was going to use an illustration, but it's frozen back there. So anyway, I'm not going to pour it out. I have several pages of, that I'm not going to read today of astonishing facts about the science itself, the miracle of water. And of course, to no surprise, water is the singular picture. It's the singular path of God's creation and part of God's creation that's most prominent throughout the Word of God. The first recorded treaty in Scripture 
was an oath concerning water, Beersheba. It is called the well of the oath. You remember in 1968, those of you who are old enough, I was a young boy living in uh, really Cape Canaveral, watched the entire Apollo program. And in 1968, the Apollo command module came around the dark side of the moon. And man saw Earth from way out in space. It took their breath away. Jim Lovell called it the big blue marble. They said that it was the only thing in all the vast space where they were that had any color, a tiny ball of water shrouded with clouds of water. And it was there on Christmas Eve that those three astronauts read to the world the words of Genesis 1. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. They took time. Remember this? They took time reading the Bible to over a billion people watching on television. And Frank Borman closed with the words, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered unto one place, and the gathered together the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Those astronauts marveled in the fact that the only difference between earth and anything else that they could possibly see out in space was the presence. The one determining factor was water. And when you look at the simplest science of water, the astonishing facts alone, it, feel, it does, it fills your heart and your mind with wonder. But you know, the thing that makes God wonder in the Old Testament as he presents it to us, God wonders at how man can look at this creation, how mankind can look at all the glory of what he's made so perfectly suited for life and still insist on unbelief. Let's look at that verse again. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, Jesus always quoting Scripture, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and again, I'll be brief. Why is it that our Lord Jesus in this text reminded the Jews that the water from the rock of the Old Testament was only symbolic of the living water that he himself would provide. Just for a moment, let's consider what water is and what it does, right? As part of God's creation. The first thing you know, alluded to in verse 38, where it says, quote, rivers of living water. It's a simple fact that, that water carries life. It carries life's nutrients. One of the most interesting things that I read on the subject is that water is the most solvent substance in all the universe. It's the most solvent substance on earth, meaning simply that more things dissolve in water than any other liquid. And, and why is that so critical? Because, folks, if you, put, if you put a plant, you put it out in your yard somewhere, you can put it in the most fertile, nutritious soil in the world, surround it with the most wonderful nutrients in that deep, rich soil, it'll still wither and die. The only way that a tree or a flower can get the life-giving nutrients is to its branches and to its leaves is if the water is used because it is the water dissolving those things, carrying it, and taking it there. And really the same thing is true with your body. Without water, your blood cells could never carry the oxygen that God designed it, could never carry it or the nutrients or the vitamins to the rest of your body. In other words, water that carries the life to the need. And this is precisely what Jesus is saying. Notice these verses. Verse 38, 
But he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, notice capital S, Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, wait a minute. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus back in John chapter 3? He said, he said Nicodemus, you must be born again. That means life. And then he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the capital S, spirit, is spirit. Except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that in other words, what happens, and for some, what happened when you believe, is that the Holy Spirit of God, let us say water from the rock, takes life from above, carries it, places it as an endless fountain in the soul of that man or that woman who has believed. John chapter 4, a famous text, as you know, the woman at the well. You'll notice what it says in verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, basically saying, Me, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Here's what it says in verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoso drinketh of this water, this well water, shall thirst again. But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, you, you guys have already said something like you're so certain Brother Bernie is in heaven. Well, it is everlasting life inside. So that, yes, it is true what this physical water does for living things, literally carrying life to the body, this water, this living water, also does for the soul. By the way, that's why spiritual pride is so foolish. Spiritual pride that says, you know, the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So if you have any spiritual fruit or spiritual truth or salvation or anything close to it, there's no room for pride. It's not because you carried it into your heart and soul. It's because the water did that. No water, no, no metabolism, no life. Water carries life itself. Number two, quickly. Water also cleanses. Or should I say, clean water cleanses. You know, it's estimated that one and a half million people die in third world countries every year just because, only because, there's not enough clean water. And surely as God illustrated in the labor that he commanded in the law, the spiritual water from the rock of Christ cleanses the heart from sin. In John chapter 9 Verse 10, it says this. Therefore said they unto him, How are thine eyes open? And he said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and I washed and I received sight. You know, it's one thing to stand in waters in the pool at Siloam and call yourself the living water. I suppose anybody can say I'm the living water. But the Lord Jesus always had a way of proving it. And that was what the miracles were for, affirming who, what he said. Go and wash, he said, Jesus said, and the man was made to see. 
Today he says, come. Come to the fountain of living waters. When I was in high school, my brothers and I got a job in the summer. Every summer, my aunt and uncle's worm farm. Yes, worm farm. In Davie, Florida. These were worms that we would pack up in little boxes, you know, and sell to bait shops. They also raised rabbits. The rabbits were white and fluffy. The worms were gross. We ate the rabbits twice a week. They were plump. They were, they were tasty. But he had these ugly, disgusting worms, and I always thought it was backwards. We coddled the worms, and we ate the rabbits. But I had to tell you one thing that I'll never forget. The thing I remember most about those experiences those summers is how filthy and how dirty we got by the end of the day. Worm farms are like turnip farms, except beds, except instead of vegetables. They're full of worms, rows and rows of, of mounds with, with worms. And to feed the worms, they would say, they would bring in these uh, dump trucks, really, of manure. And it would come twice a week, and they would just dump it, and we would take pitchforks, and we would fill it all these rows up. By the end of the day, I mean, our eyes and ears and nose and mouth, and he gave me a cowboy hat, and it was there's a white line of demarcation. But the thing I never forgot was in your fingernails, it was everywhere, was going at the end of the day with the hose, just the joy the relief of having that filth washed off. I always look forward to that. You know, the Bible teaches that man has a problem. He's dirty. He's filthy. And it's intrinsic. It's in his fingernails, in his eyes, in his heart, in his soul, in his mind. It's everywhere. It's a problem of sin. And that sin is the root cause for all of the problems and all the heartaches All the pains, the ills, the deceits, the betrayals, everything you see going on in our country and all over the world. And you cannot, you cannot wash away that sin and that dirt and that filth with the rags of religion. You can't do it. King David cried out in Psalm 51, O God, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Wash me, he said, and I shall be whiter than snow if you wash me. Water carries. This water cleanses. Lastly, you'll notice water cools. In fact, let me remind you for a moment of the setting for the Feast of Tabernacles. Because it actually goes back, again, as we noted, to the desert. That harsh, that hot, dry, parched desert. In fact, the truth is, if it, if it were not for the abundance of water... Our home, this earth, the third rock from the sun, would immediately overheat and be as lifeless as mercury. There's a reason, you see. There is a divinely designed reason why water is considered refreshing, delightful, a blessing just by its presence, just by its presence alone. Jesus speaks in verse 38 of flowing rivers, right? In chapter 4, he speaks of wells of water springing up into everlasting life. Heaven itself is described in the book of Revelation as having a pure river of water of life proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Water is, is central, the focus of heaven's throne itself. Think of that. Water cools. Cools. I remind you of what 
Jesus preached in John 16 when he said the rich man died and he went to hell. And Jesus said that in hell he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Think of that. He said, because I'm tormented in this flame. One drop of water? One? You do realize that all of the great differences that exist in the Bible between heaven and hell, the one great difference repeated, at least by our Lord, is that heaven is a place of pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding eternally from the throne of God, and in hell, there's not one drop of water. Water cools. Pastor Blaylock, how can I be sure that I'm going to that place of water in heaven itself that Brother Bernie was so certain of? Well, let me just ask you this question and I'm done. Are you thirsty? I don't mean are you thirsty for success or for better health or for meaning or for purpose. Are you thirsty? Is something in your heart saying that you're lost? That's the Holy Spirit of God. And that's a gift. Are you thirsty today to be saved? To have that, that dirt, that filth, those sins washed away? It's really what Jesus said to the woman at the well. Are you thirsting for the living water? Is what Jesus said to the Jews at the feast. And really it's exactly what God says in the very last words of Scripture. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, The Spirit... And the bride say, come, and let him that heareth come, and let him that is thirsty come, and whosoever will, let him come. Are you thirsty? I'm not sure why John chapter 7 resonated so much with Brother Bernie, but I suspect, as Nick told me in, in the rehab place, that it's because he loved the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ and undoubtedly knew that he needed it. Do you know that you need it? I know most of you here today are believers, you profess faith, but there are some who have not. And Brother Bernie, with his life and lips, witness to the gospel. As the scripture says, today is the day of salvation for you. If God is speaking to your heart, why would you put it off? Why? Come to this well of living water. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed. We're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to stand and we're going to sing together in a moment, but if you're here today and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, why don't you respond to that speaking? Why don't you do that? Why don't you recognize that you're a sinner and you also, like all of us, can only be saved from that sin, can only be cleansed by the living water, which is the water of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this dear brother, so faithful to love the gospel. I just ask, Father, that for those in this room who, who do know your Son, Christ as Savior, I pray, Father, that all of us will carry that baton even more faithfully than before by his example. Almost 96 years faithful. I pray, Father, that we'll carry it knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And for those in this room, dear God, who do not know Christ, please continue to use this family, believers in this room, and your word to speak to their hearts to be saved. We'll praise you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Brother Kev.
you're able to, I invite you to stand. We're going to sing a great hymn, Rejoice in the Lord, written by a man who was going through some difficult times, but he chose to rejoice in the Lord. Let's sing it together if you know it. God never moves without purpose or plan when trying His servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness He giveth a song. Oh, rejoice in the Lord, He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. Now I can see testing comes from above. God strengthens His children and purges in love. My Father knows best, and I trust in His care. Through purging, more fruit I will bear. Oh, rejoice in the Lord, He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. Amen. You may be seated. Great singing this morning. At this time, I'm going to ask Miss Paisley, she come up. She's going to sing a song behalf of Bernie. It's one of his favorite hymns. It happens to be one of my favorite as well. Appreciate that very much, Ms. Paisley. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved Blessing. Amen. Thank you, Ms. Paisley. At this time, the family wish to give a few testimonies on behalf of Brother Bernie. And I have told that this is a holy order based on importance. I'm just kidding. First shall be last, the last shall be first. Just kidding. But we're going to have Miss Debbie come up first and speak a word, followed by, and if Nick and Dominic, if you would, come up here and sit on these chairs too, just be ready. Appreciate it very much. And uh, when we hear from them. Thank you all for coming. Really appreciate your 
coming to honor my dad. I don't have the, the, I'm not blessed with the speaking ability my dad is, so bear with me. My dad was an absolute wonderful man. He had so many talents. In woodworking, singing, he loved to sing. He was one of these people that when he walked in a room, you knew you were looking at someone important. I don't know why that was, it just, that's what everyone said. And he never met a stranger, as a lot of you probably know. He loved everyone. He loved to, he was an artist, a sculptor, woodworker, and a singer. He was always singing. And sometimes to people that didn't want it. <laughs> but he loved life. He loved the Lord. He loved his wife and his children beyond measure. He loved education. If you went into any facility and looked for him, just go to the library, because that's where he'd be. He used to, one thing I remembered growing up is that he would come to the kitchen table with a dictionary and challenge some of us to be able to come up with the meaning of a particularly hard word. And that helped us because it gave you a better um, vocabulary and he just was all about education. One of the things I remember and just really so much enjoy thinking about is, is my brothers uh, teasing and, and uh, jabbing my dad and he loved laughter so much. That was something that my dad, uh, that I'll always remember the most about my dad is he loved laughter, just loved it so much. And my brothers would, especially my youngest brothers, would, would have him start out on the couch laughing and by the time they were finished, he would be on the floor, <laughs> wheezing. And it was just, it was just, it just something that I'll just always cherish, the brothers and my dad as well. He'll be so dearly missed. I love my dad so very much. But one thing I hold against him is I'm now the matriarch of this family. <laughs> um, thank, thank you, God, for, thank you, Dad, for your hard work and for your memories. don't know me. Um, I'm Bernard Jr. Most of you know me as Nick. I'm the oldest son of nine children born to Bernard and Marilyn Sementelli. It's an honor today to represent God's glory because it's always about his glory. And a life well lived by my father Bernard, affectionately known as Bernie or just Burn. Dad began his spiritual journey as a young man. 
He purchased and began reading a Bible in 1956. I remember seeing and hearing him praying by his bedside many evenings. Sometime around 1978, while reading this same Bible, Dad came across Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It was in that moment he realized that a man is not saved from his sins by his own efforts or works, but by the grace of God, through faith. From that moment, he began conducting his life according to the scriptures. When Dad told me he was still praying to Mary, having been raised as a Roman Catholic, I challenged him with that, told him it was not biblical. So he began to read the scriptures. He read through the entire Bible. He was just sure he should continue praying to Mary. Well, when he got done reading, he came to me and said, okay, I've learned. There is only one mediator between God and man, only one, the man, Christ Jesus. At which time he told me that going forward, he would be only praying to God. Dad was always very vocal about his faith and eventually left the Catholic faith and became very active in a Bible-preaching church. I remember him saying he told his Catholic priest that he didn't think he was a Catholic anymore because he believed in salvation by grace through faith. Dad went on to grow in his faith and continued to share the truth of Christ and salvation until his death on February 18th of this year. Most of his family and his fellow residents at Courtyard Gardens Assisted Living Facility had the opportunity daily to hear, if not memorize, Dad's favorite verses. I see Pam down there from assisted care and Carol bobbing her heads. Everyone knew Dad's favorite verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He quoted them often. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. He would literally quote these verses multiple times in a conversation. <laughs> as he saw trusting the Lord as the answer to all of life, along with its troubles. Dad was a larger-than-life figure who dearly loved Mom and all of his children and family and loved every person he met. He never met a stranger. He told me long before his salvation experience, I was just a boy, 
to be sure and have a smile for everyone I encounter in life, not just a select few. I've learned from that practice why he had so many admirers and friends. Dad will be sorely missed. And we do sorrow, but not as others, which have not the living hope of Jesus Christ in their hearts. We love you, Dad. Deb, Nick, Renee, Lynn, Glenn, John, Rhonda, and Tony. Very sorry about the loss of our dad. And same to your spouses your families, my family, my wife, Kathy, and all of the people here, all of those friends and families that he loved very much. <clears throat> my dad, which I, I called him Pop, my, my wife was amazed because, why are you saying Pop? Well, that's what I called him when I was with him. When we were together, he, he truly loved the Lord and he would always make that known. He, would, he made everybody he came in contact with make sure they knew it too. Right, the, right, right there on the spot, he would attempt to transform a life into believing what he believes and making sure they all knew what the verse John 3.16 promises. I came up with an analogy that was fitting. I know that because he accepted the analogy and would repeat it, which was when explaining to the audience what it means to be saved, he would not just plant the seed, but rather stay on you to the point of tears. My analogy was, and I explained it this way, because he was a woodworker, I thought and knew he would get this. When setting a finish nail, you know, a th small thin nail to fasten a lighter piece of wood, I would tell him the finish nail was the idea or the notion of knowing the Lord, but instead of tapping the nail in lightly with a a finish hammer, he would theoretically use a sledgehammer. <laughs> and for the workers out there, you know how that ended up. There were many times that my dad would corner my children. He knew they were, uh, to the point he wanted to make sure that they were saved. And that happened every time 
he was around. He would not just pray with them or discuss the beauty of knowing the Lord. He would preach to them two or three hours later uh, to the point of tears. And he would ask if everything was okay. And the response was, I just really need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Dad was truly unique often singing joyfully or whistling. He told me a story about how he defended one of my sisters, his daughter, at grade school they attended. That was when the principal of the school used a paddle to spank one of my sisters. This may have been a time when he wasn't so holy. When my dad heard of the spanking, he went to the school and said to the principal, don't ever do that again, because I will spank you. <laughs> he went on to say, you can do whatever you want to the boys, <laughs> but be careful, they may spank you as well. <laughs> I can remember as a very young kid going walnut gathering there, that was the start of my knowledge of wood. He would explain the different trees and how to know what type of tree by reading the bark, the leaves, and the branches. On the site where he brought me to find walnuts was where he had all of the trees from his home in Fenton sawed. He had the most unique collection of wood and often would be found working on wood projects. Often he would stay at my house in Massachusetts for months at a time. He always let me know he was not into maintenance, but rather capital improvements. And each time I would come to visit, um, he would come to visit, he would remind me of the, of the joy and fun we had doing different projects. And he would go through the history of that. There we would bond and become best of friends. My dad truly was one of the loves of my life. I am reminded that my dad is with me each time I look into the eyes of my girls. The big eyes that look back at me. Dad You will forever be missed, and I know you're in my heart and soul. I love you, and I know I'll see you again. I have had several dreams already, seeing you smiling ear to ear with my beloved mother, Marilyn. Until I see you again, Pop. Rest in peace. Thank you. I'm not sure how to follow that. <laughs> well, I'm uh, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> 
or Tony, I'm, I'm number nine, as I was affectionately referred to. <clears throat> and when I think about what it means to be number nine and I hear my sister talking, I could talk about how they saved the best for last or how I'm the favorite child but I'm not gonna talk about that because it would be inappropriate. So instead, I just wanna talk for a minute uh, about a very unique gentleman, uh, a well-meaning godly man that I had the privilege of calling my father. And before I do that, I, I just wanna briefly say thank you to my brother, my sister Beth, and for the caregivers that are here and for all the people who spent so many hours giving my father what I consider to be concierge care, thank you very much for that. <clears throat> I was and am very proud of my dad. He was a kind and compassionate man and very generous, especially to strangers. Uh, he was known from time to time to find somebody that was wandering, uh, and pick him up and get him a hot meal and a place to stay for the night. And I always appreciated that. And uh, I picked up the trade and so did my children. Thanks, Dad. He was a very hard worker, and I think I got my work ethic from him. He would toil on projects and creations and, and things, and he would struggle and figure them out. And, you know, I always appreciated that he felt that and shared that there was no problem that was too great with some hard work, and there was nothing that you couldn't accomplish with the Lord on your side. Thanks, Dad. I picked up a few other things from him as well, but I've forgiven him for that. <laughs> I, <clears throat> he was well-respected in his community and the places he lived, Courtyard Gardens, thank you so much for the care, for the friendship. <clears throat> He had friends inside and outside of his church family, and he, he loved his church family and his extended church family. <clears throat> Deb said, Dad loved to laugh, and I think about that often, and I, I'm one of the culprits. I couldn't miss an opportunity because I love to laugh, too, and most recently he was in the hospital on oxygen, and I came up with something and uh, was going to talk about the service and how they were trying to discourage him from becoming a repeat customer. And my brother saw it coming and he said, no, don't do it. And I landed the punchline and my father nearly coded and he, <laughs> he just, uh, he just loved to laugh and that brought uh, vital, important life to him and to the people around him. Thanks, Dad. <clears throat> he certainly loved the Lord, and he loved to talk about the Lord, and other people have shared with that, and, and uh, 
as Dom was saying, it, your interest in your com the conversation was never really a prerequisite. <laughs> and he was going to land uh, the conversation one way or the other. <laughs> Thanks, Dad, for the perseverance and the tenacity. I ex traveled extensively with my father over the years, and I, I don't know if I've even shared this with my brothers and sisters uh, to this degree, because I had never really contemplated it. I just took it for granted, but we've been to Alaska and California and Hawaii and Michigan and Massachusetts and New York and Texas and everywhere in between. We stayed in tents and trailers and RVs and hotels and B&Bs. We've been to the Alamo and the Badlands and Mount Rushmore and Yellowstone and Old Faithful. Jackson Hole and the San Francisco Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, the Salt Flats of Utah, Highway 69, Frankenmuth, the Mackinac Bridge, Niagara Falls. We've been on both ends of Canada. We've been to Mexico together. Brennan and I have been to a lot of places together, and I'm thankful for that. Thanks, Dad. My dad loved to tell a story, and I'll finish with this. When we were down in Mexico, we had down, been down there for some time, and I had, he, he loved to watch me negotiate with some of the people in the local markets. He felt I had the knack for negotiation, and he really appreciated that as a lifelong salesperson. And we traveled south on the Baja Peninsula down to a little town called Rosarito Beach. If you've been there, it's a beautiful place. <clears throat> and we were going to walk down to a market and, and, and uh, where he would observe my skills. <laughs> and on the way to the market, there's a street vendor who was <clears throat> trying to sell us some silver. And uh, my dad saw a money clip that he really loved, and I he said, well, let's get that. I said, how much for the money clip? He said, 60 bucks. I said, that's way too much. And I said, no, no, never mind. And I walked on. And my dad's like, hey, let's get the money clip. And I'm like, dad, don't worry. We'll get the money clip. The guy followed us, and we proceeded to negotiate on the run. And finally, after about a mile, the guy came up to us, and I said, listen, I'll give you 10 bucks for the money clip. Either give the money clip to my father, and I'll give you $10, or stop bothering us. So the guy in disgust handed me the money clip and took his $10, and my father was just <laughs> overwhelmed by that, and he loved to tell that story. But that's really not the part of the story that I think is the funniest. <laughs> when we got to the market that we were heading to, and we came into a booth, I think they were selling leather products, and my father decided that he wanted to <clears throat> show his skill in negotiation, and also uh, <laughs> how he could speak in some combination of broken English, Spanish, I guess, and maybe Italian. It was the best I could get. And as he was trying to negotiate with this gentleman in all of these different dialects and languages, some version of anyway, uh, I always said, 
when they ask me how many languages does your father speak, I'm like, well, he's still trying to learn English. <laughs> Which is not true. He was very articulate, anyone that knows him. But anyway, the gentleman was looking at him with this befuddled look, and my father felt like he had communicated well, and he said, Comprende? And the gentleman looked at him and said, I'm from Minnesota. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> His smile was irresistible, and Dad was truly irreplaceable. Pastor Jerry and I were talking about that as we were coming in and greeted one another and just laughing about how, what a character he was. That God was doing some experimentation when <laughs> he created that. And I'm not sure where you would find the mold, but I don't think it exists financially. But anyway, uh, I called him Burn. I also called him Pops, Dom. Rest in peace, Pops. Can't wait to see you again. <clears throat> so, I'm Doug. I'm uh, one of Grandpa Burns' grandchildren. I didn't write anything down. I just figured uh, something's going to come to me and. I mean, they pretty much said everything that you could say. Um, one thing that, you know, I can't stand here and tell you who my grandpa was because you all knew who he was. I don't need to explain anything about him to you because you know, the simple fact that you are all here. Anyone that knew Byrne loved him. And... Uh, the fact that he had the unique talent, just like my grandmother, um, that he's with now, and I can't. <clears throat> the fact that he could had he had the ability to make all of us feel special in our own way, and he made us all feel like we were number one, because uh, the truth of the matter is we all were number one to him and to grandma and. I'm so I'm, I'm extremely happy for Grandpa. We're all sad, but uh, I'm happy for him because he's exactly where he has yearned to be for a very long time. And that's what I want us all to remember. Through our sorrow and hurt, he's where, <laughs> he's, where he's been trying to get for some time. <laughs> Put it that way. Um, <clears throat> Grandpa did love to sing, and I, I, that's some of my fondest memories. And uh, like Uncle Damo said, sometimes it was even painful because you're like, man, I don't, you know, you just be waking up, you're not, you're not feeling, you're not in the mood to be singing, and, and along with Grandpa, that he's singing to you, and it's usually some song from the 40s I'd never even heard. And uh, I'm like, man. But uh, to me personally, Kind of felt like, uh, kind of feels like an empire started to crumble when Grandpa went. 
but but that's not true because <clears throat> Grandpa's a legend, and he built an empire that's up to us to keep going. We have to carry it on, and we have to keep moving forward. And I know Grandpa's looking down, and he's he is he is smiling. He's he's overjoyed right now. And like Mom said, he's walking the streets of gold, and. Um, can't ask for more than that. You know, we, we all want that for e our loved ones, for each other at some point, and it's just our own human nature and selfishness, and that we 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 want them back because we 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 want them. But he's where he needs to be, and he's where he deserves to be. And uh, Grandpa was very very great at uh, reminding me of Scripture, and he always had. Grandpa always had one of these right here, if y'all remember, and I'm sure you do, along with about 50 pens. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, he, Grandpa was definitely extraordinary, and he was absolutely irreplaceable and one of a kind. And uh, we're, we're all definitely going to miss him forever, of course. But Uncle Domo and I were talking the other day, and uh, our family... We have a humongous family, and it's all because of this man. And we have a beautiful love story of a family. Well, to me, it kind of felt like, as I was saying earlier, um, <clears throat> it was almost as if the family story, has, the book has closed now, but it's not. It's just, like Uncle Damo said, we closed the chapter. So now it's, it is up to us to continue to write the story. So moving forward, instead of being sad and which we're going to be, let's do the best we can to rejoice and just be happy and celebrate the the life of old Burn, Grandpa Bernie. And uh, I am thankful that y'all are here. Um, this is this is hard. Thank you for everyone's wonderful testimonies about Grandpa, and I'm, I'm just I'm grateful to, to be here, and I'm grateful that everyone is here, and I love everybody, and I just want us all to just remember the good times and rejoice in that, and try to turn the, you know, the tears um, into smiles, and at least be able to fight through tears with smiles, and... <clears throat> This is something I saw that I thought was so true, so I'm gonna end with this. A golden heart stopped beating, hardworking hands laid to rest. God broke our hearts to prove to us he only takes the best. Bertie asked me to do a side two of Led Zeppelin.
he didn't do that. Um, I'm, I'm Patrick, I'm Kristen's husband. Uh, she uh, handed me this last night and said, you're speaking for me, so here I am. Um, and to follow a bunch of Sementelis, there's no pressure. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm Kristen's husband, Patrick. We've been married for exactly one year today. Uh, one year ago, Bernie was walking us down the aisle, or walking her down the aisle, excuse me. I was nervously watching with his walker. Every step of the way, he stopped and uh, met everybody along the way. <laughs> yeah. It was indeed the very longest walk down the aisle I have ever experienced. I've been to a few weddings. Been to a few weddings. Um, Kristen is Renee's daughter. Uh, Renee's Bernie's daughter. Um, I am so lucky to be a part of this family now. Thank you. Um, I'm so sorry to everyone Kristen wanted me to say for the loss of Bernie, our father, our grandfather, our brother, our cousin, our uncle, and a friend to all, actually family to all that knew him. It's a terrible loss for us and the world. Um, she wanted to share a little bit about her relationship um, with Grandpa. He was more than just a father. I mean a grandfather. He was a father to her as well. And uh, she says, my grandma and my grandpa lived 15 minutes away from my parents' house for my whole life. And I have mem many memories of picking them up from school and going to my grandparents' house. And I remember grandpa carrying me to the car when I was little and telling me, look up at the moon. And I remember him singing to me, I love you, a bushel and a peck, like he did to my older sisters and my cousins, um, and, and to me too, I might add. Um, it's hard for me to think of a memory that my grandpa is not a part of, Kristen says. Mostly I remember my grandpa telling me every chance he got how much he loved me. If I called him, that I, I was usually the first thing to say. He would say, oh, honey, I love you so much. Do you know how much I love you? And I think we all had that with him, right? Um, he would grab me and hold on to me and, you know, he didn't hit me with the Bible as hard as you guys. But he did hit me with that heart. Boy, did he. Um, Kristen says when her father passed away, which unfortunately was not too long ago either, that her grandpa grieved until the day he himself passed as he lost, like he lost his own son. And he spoke to my mom and I about how much he missed my dad constantly and me every day because um, unfortunately I did not get a chance to meet your father. But I feel like I did through your family and have and still do and I definitely did from good old Bernie. Um, I, Kristen says that she thinks everyone in the family knows the story that he would tell all the time uh, about Kristen. He certainly told me every time uh, is that when she was five years old at Uncle Sam's house, that uh, birthday party, everyone at the dinner party was standing up and making speeches about Sam. Well, apparently uh, Kristen wasn't noticed enough, hard to believe, uh, with all the attention and the gifts going on. So uh, she pulled on Bernie's sleeve. She says, Grandpa, I have an announcement to make. And he, he picked her up and he put her on the table, as, as you all know. And she said, hey, everybody, my birthday's June 8th. <laughs> Grandpa.
grandpa loved that story. He told me that a lot. And um, he, um, more, more recent memory is over the past few years, Kristen and Bernie would go to the Maltz Jupiter Theater where we met and go see musicals. Um, not only was Bernie very pious and uh, holy, but he also loved the arts besides libraries. And uh, they would go see many shows together and it was a very special time for Kristen, for sure, and always will be, thank you. Um, we were married one year ago today and uh, I mentioned all that part for you that, you know, that was such a long walk and wonderful. Um, no one is quite like Bernie and no one will ever replace him. He's a legend, I've heard several of you say that too. And our family's anchor is gone, although I will say that's not really true because when I look out at all of you, that anchor is in all of you and your bloodstream because he hugs you so hard, it went right in there and <laughs> it's never going away. And uh, he was a true man of God and a joy for all of us who knew and loved him. He will be terribly missed and uh, we love you, Grandpa. I love you, a bushel and a peck. A bushel and a peck, you make my heart a wreck. You make my heart a wreck. You, and you make my life a mess. You make my life a mess. A mess of happiness about, about you. I love you, a bushel and a peck. You put your pretty like I do. I think we should take that show on the road, amen? <laughs> I think that go very well. As we conclude the service, I just want to say it is no surprise at all hearing these wonderful testimonies. Brother Tony mentioned when Brother Bernie was at Courtyard, he was impossibly popular. It was impossible to even visit him because he was so popular. I remember one time coming over and he came into, on the east side of the building, there's this wonderful sitting room. He'd love to look outside and see the sun pouring in. I was having a wonderful time with Brother Bernie and he proudly proclaimed, I got a basket of cookies. I'm like, from who? None other than one of our deacons, John Morris and his family, his daughters and his granddaughters would go and visit him and they made him a beautiful, not Publix, a basket of fresh baked cookies. I've known the Morrises for 35 years, and I have never <laughs> gotten a basket of cookies, but oh, Bernie Sementelli does. He gets everything. And as I'm trying to visit with this man, people are coming in, hey, Bernie, hey, how you doing? Come here. He's like, he grabs them, pulls them in, and gives them a kiss. I'm, like, I'm trying to talk to you, man. And people would come after an hour. It's like, he's 92 years old, running for president. He was immensely popular. So it is no surprise to me at all that when the family told me that his nickname is Mr. Congeniality, I absolutely could believe it. But it reminded me of something else of Mr. Simontelli, of one of the greatest descriptions of Christ Jesus that was ever spoken in his own word. And Jesus went about 
doing good. That was him. And Jesus also said, I will draw all men unto me. And oh boy, was that Bernie Simitelli. He loved people. And people were drawn to him. Yes, maybe some of it is because of his you know, Italian charisma. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But also because he had such a likeness to Jesus Christ. And that extends to you, his family. I see it. One of you, I think I recognize, that works at a local Publix, and I can tell you that she is the most popular person in that Publix. I can tell you that right now. So, you know what I'm talking about. The most, so, your tradition and that legacy lives on in you. I remember what Paul said, to continue to run your course with joy, with faith, because he has finished his race. He has fought the good fight. He's kept the faith. And those of us who remain will miss him. But we know, as I said about my grandpa, and what I said about my mother, and my aunt, and in this very pulpit, we will see him again. So in this time, as we conclude the service, remember his legacy, but rejoice and that you'll see him again, and that God is faithful. I have a special word of instruction, too, for to, as we close this afternoon. Lunch has been prepared for the family. All you can eat means you can eat it all. Amen. Um, so I encourage for the family and close friends, we'll meet over there in a moment, but if you're here visiting, just make sure you greet the family on your way out. But I'm going to say a word of prayer, but as Brother Nick said, and I appreciate that he did. He quoted the words that we do sorrow, and it's normal, and it's good. Jesus Christ was a man who wept for Lazarus. And they said, oh, how he loved him. But we sorrow. But like Jesus, not as those who have no hope. We'll see him again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Father, I truly find it a personal honor to be a part of the celebration of the testimony of this man's life who has lived long on this earth and he did not waste a single minute of every breath you gave, that every single opportunity that he gave, that I knew him, he always sought to bless and to encourage and strengthen and, yes, crack a laugh or two with those around him. And I know even though that is a wonderful blessing, Father, it is such a gap, it is such a void, it is such a hole when those people leave our lives. But help us, Lord, in those moments remember that it is only temporary. And as we grow older on this earth, we realize this is less and less of our home. And our real home is where Mr. Sementelli is now and his beloved redhead and many of siblings that have gone on to be with you, Lord. Help us now, Lord, in these times of uncertainty and doubt to be reminded that we are simply to be faithful because you have been faithful. Help anyone here this morning, Lord, who has never drank from that precious fountain that Mr. Sementelli so wonderfully tasted, that behold, now is the accepted time, that today is day of salvation, and they can know the joy that was always in Bernie's heart. Help us, Lord, to walk worthy, not just of his legacy, but walk worthy of you, because you're deserving of it. Comfort the family, I pray. Strengthen this time, and we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Remind you, uh, greet the family on your way out. Lunch is on the left side. Brother Kevin will lead you out. God bless you. You are dismissed.